Hello, everyone. My name is Joseph Jongsma, President and CEO of Caring Support. I will be the moderator tonight for our big roundtable discussion on the complexity of healthcare as it sits today and discuss potential solutions on solving some of the critical issues we are facing in healthcare. As well, we will touch on technology and innovation. So let me start our, uh, by introducing our panelist professionals. First, he is a family physician, a healthcare executive and expert in healthcare systems design and improvement. He has held several high-level leadership roles in Canada and the US, including CEO of a large academic health science center. He is widely recognized as a subject matter expert in advanced primary care model, models policy and payments, and population health management. Let me introduce you to Dr. Paul Woods. Hi, Dr. Woods. Good evening, Joseph and everybody. Good being here, Paul. Um, second of all, Hillary, uh, let me introduce my next panelist. Uh, she is, in, uh, is Corporate Services and Human Resources Specialist. With, de with demonstrated expertise in history, working in the hospital and healthcare industry. Hillary is highly skilled in analytical thinking, team building and management. She is the formal, former VP of corporate services and HR at Southwest Lynn. Hi, Hillary. Thank you for being here. Evening, glad to be here. Awesome, thank you. Uh, Don, um, he is a multiple award-winning president, CEO of Westervelt College, one of Canada's oldest colleges. Don has a strong commitment to the educational sector where he educates healthcare students to become the best they can be by providing healthcare services that, will all, that we will all need one day. Let me introduce you to Don Tiber. Hi, Don. Hey, good afternoon. Good evening, everyone. Excellent. And last but not least, Byron, he is an entrepreneurial digital and marketing business leader, experienced in customer-centric digital and e-commerce and cross-channel marketing. Byron has held executive roles at top-tier retailers, digital agencies, and management consultancies, working with companies such as Walmart and Shoppers Drug Mart. Hi, Byron. How are you tonight? Good evening. I'm great. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. I really do appreciate your time. Uh, I'm excited for these questions. There's so much going on in healthcare that why not just get right into it and start asking some difficult questions in regards <laughs> to what's going on? All right. So our first question is going to be for Paul and Hillary. Dr. Woods and Hillary. Perfect. What are the biggest predicators of current staffing crisis in healthcare, and how do you think it could have been avoided? And we're going to start with Mr. Dr. Woods. Okay, well, thank you, Joseph. Um, you know, I think back on my early years in healthcare in the 80s, and, you know, which, what I think was obvious to everybody who was around during those times was the graying of the workforce. Uh, you know, I, I think that there was a sort of a venerable core, uh, particularly of nurses, but, you know, they were in their 40s or their 30s. And the question was, how are they being replaced? And over the past uh, 40 years-ish since I graduated, there has been really no replacement of that kind of middle group. So the, the group that were uh, mature experienced nurses in particular, 
uh, back during the 80s have you know become mentors and leaders and that sort of thing but there has been a failure to replace it i think it was really obvious actually to us back in the day i, I don't think this should be viewed as a shock but there was a failure to address it with policy around education uh, around uh, uh, equitable wages uh, for the work and and those sorts of things so i think that that was a big thing I think a second factor has been the growth in consumption and utilization of health services. So as you know, people my age, just kind of the end of the baby boomers and, and people a bit older than me have aged into their 60s and 70s, the consumption of services has gone through the roof just because there are more people in that age group, but also we can do more things and people are living longer. So I think there's been a massive growth uh, that isn't even just related to the population. I think it has grown in excess of the population growth. I think the third thing that maybe people don't talk about enough is we knew that burnout was a problem in healthcare for a very long time. People started talking about this probably 20 years ago, and I think Hillary would probably have a much better handle on this than I do. But I think the question was, is this such a great profession, a great sector to be in? And I think that the, the, the pandemic has absolutely nailed that question with a lot of people saying it's not a great sector to be in. Uh, so not only you know, has there been a lot of uh, stressors related to just the pandemic and the amount of work that people are doing, but people have been taking out their anger and their frustration on healthcare workers. So I think that there are less people going into it than what we would like to because it doesn't have the same sort of gilded image uh, that it did 40 years ago. And Hillary, you may have some uh, uh, other ideas about that. Yeah, I, I would agree with everything you said, uh, Dr. Woods. I think, um, you know, the number of people requiring health care, to your point, is, is certainly growing um, with patients living longer. And the, you know, my most recent experiences, of course, from the community sector and, you know, people are not in hospital, they're in their own homes um, and, and living longer and requiring more care at home. And so I would agree. I think that the wage parity has been a, a problem, um, you know, when you compare hospitals to long-term care homes to community care, uh, there isn't wage parity. Um, and then also, I would agree, I'm not sure what we've done to support healthcare workers um, pre-COVID um, and, and the things that they would be experiencing in their day-to-day -day, um, work world, but especially during and now post-COVID, um, what supports are available for healthcare workers. And if they're not feeling supported and cared for, then yeah, why would you go into that profession? It, it, it's sort of a, a thankless job in many ways. So I think there's a number of things that um, that we maybe could have done differently, um, and I, I I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but uh, but maybe we can look to what we can do moving forward to support differently. Excellent, excellent. So I'm definitely hearing that you know higher wages is necessary you know in this day and age and where where we're at in healthcare, and I would hundred percent agree with that. Our, our healthcare staff does need to get paid more. Uh, especially the PSWs, DSWs, uh, the clinical care aides, and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I'm definitely, you know, pro paying them, you know, more money to do the job that they need to do. Because my parents are getting to that age, they're going to need home care first, then long-term care, and unfortunately, maybe hospice care in the near future, or well, hopefully later on. But yeah, you know what I mean. So 
Yeah, thank you so much for answering that question, you two. I really appreciate it. Paul, do you want to have a last uh, touch on that question? Touch point on that question? No, I think you nailed the landing on that one, Joseph. I, you know, I think, uh, as Hillary says, hindsight's twenty twenty. But uh, I think the, the most important thing is that uh, policymakers and decision makers get, you know, heart attacks serious about this right now, because this, this is a crisis that could have been, you know, uh, averted years ago. It wasn't. But it's not going to go away. It's actually going to get even worse. So I, there, there has to be some real hard decisions made and some courageous decisions in terms of funding, uh, in terms of education. And again, in terms of we have to pay uh, healthcare workers enough for them to want to do the job. Very well put. Thank you so much. All right. Our next question is for Hillary and Paul again. So you guys might as well stay on. Uh, we're going to start with Hillary with this question. Uh, what do you think are the most pressing needs in the healthcare sector in terms of staffing at the moment? Interesting question. Uh, if you'd asked me this question four or five years ago, I would have said PSWs, and, and that would still be my answer today. Um, PSWs for sure. I think uh, especially in um, long-term care and community uh, hospitals too, I'm sure. Uh, but I think it's bigger than that now. I think post-COVID, um, you know, as Paul mentioned earlier, uh, healthcare workers are are tired, they're burnt out, and um, le perhaps leaving the sector or or changing roles in the sector. And um, I, I think there's probably not uh, an abundance of any type of position in healthcare at this time. Okay, uh, Dr. Woods, can you uh, pipe in on that, please? Yeah, those would be my two first that come to mind, PSWs. Um, and, you know, that's kind of a growing deficit from my perspective as we try to shift care away from hospitals, even away from physicians' offices and away from long-term care homes, but actually more and more into the home. Uh, you know, the uh, personal support workers in the, in the uh, um, home and community care sector, I think is huge. And, and nurses, I know from my experience, uh, in hospitals is just sort of a chronic thing that I think uh, is getting worse because of that uh, growing workforce issue. I think the, the, the other slight uh, different flavor on it, and, and this is where my heart is, uh, having spent a fair bit of time growing up in uh, Timmins, Ontario, and then practicing in Dryden, Ontario, is the maldistribution. So, you know, it's kind of a weakest link thing, but if you don't have enough nurses to staff a hospital uh, in Dryden or in uh, uh, Timmins, those patients end up in Thunder Bay or, or North Bay or Sudbury, and if, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it, it's sort of, uh, we've tended to think in silos instead of you know, having the enormous advantage that we have in, you know, Ontario, in the provincial single payer systems is we should be able to share these burdens together and we haven't done it. So it, I, I'm worried about the maldistribution, how hard it is to recruit to smaller places, particularly Northern places. Yeah, I think that that is a massive struggle as we hear from caring support all the time from our, uh, our healthcare organizations that we deal with. And the struggle is real out in Sudbury, Thunder Bay, Timmins, Ontario, of getting that right talent. Uh, they really are paying a lot of money to actually shift people's thinking and, and having them relocate. So, you know, uh, paying tremendous amounts of money, of healthcare uh, um, money, to in order to relocate these individuals. Um, that's really costly on the healthcare system. 
another one, uh, major point I want to make on that is I think is, you know, going to be a huge increase is mental health. Uh, mental health, you know, due to COVID, due to the stress of what's going on in these, you know, uh, hospitals and home care and stuff like that. Um, and as well, just plain and simple, the COVID uh, plague that's, you know, on everybody. Mental health is, is, is really wearing people out. Uh, can you guys touch a little bit on mental health? What the impact do you think that that's going to be? Yeah, I can. Oh, Doctor Woods, sorry, or Hillary, sorry. What? No, go ahead. <laughs> I was hoping that Hillary would go first. <laughs> you know, I, I I've gone on the record numerous times about the lack of attention and funding uh, that has uh, uh, sort of been allocated in any system in the world you want to you want to pick, whether it's a single payer system like the provincial systems, or whether it's in a pluralistic system like in the United States or the European systems, Australia, you just pick. The lack of attention to mental health is uh, uh, very difficult to understand and impossible to defend. The question is now, how do you how do you overcome this real shortcoming? So I think that new models of care, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm modestly encouraged by uh, sort of uh, political uh, provincial commitments to, you know, sort of new structural models, new funding models and that. But I, I would say, Joseph, that's a very, uh, you know, prescient observation is that we're going to have a huge challenge associated with that. And it, it, the, the impact on the population we serve and the impact on the health systems is staggering of not having adequate people, not having adequate, you know, whatever beds funding. I know this conversation is a little more on the HR side, but there has been a, a real lack of attention. And Hillary, I, I don't know if you have anything uh, to add. Yeah, thanks. I, I would I would echo what you're saying. I think um, mental health funding pre-COVID was probably not where it should have been. Um, it wasn't the priority of the time, and I think now post-COVID, um, I don't I don't see an easy way to catch up. Uh, I think it's going to be a real challenge to provide the level of supports that needed that are needed, and um, you know I think that's partly what's causing. Um, burnout for healthcare workers is they're dealing with so many um, issues that you know maybe could have been avoided or maybe the hospital is not the best place to have to deal with them or you know wherever they're they're working from. Awesome, thank you so much, Hillary. Uh, thank you, Dr. Woods, for that. Uh, the next question will be addressed to Dawn. Um, what about healthcare education? What are the biggest challenges that students and recent grads are facing when they get into the real world? Uh, thanks, Joseph. I, I can tell you, I, you know, education's working really hard right now to trying to build bench. Uh, unfortunately, it takes time. We can't uh, push people out in months. It sometimes takes, well, for PSW, as much as eight months. For nursing, it takes years. Uh, so, you know, education's really working right now to build bench. Um, there's a lot of funding programs out there right now for students to take advantage of for retraining to get into healthcare. Um, but I would say that the biggest challenge um, graduates are finding right now is that uh, employers are kind of tripping over themselves to find new people. Uh, we've had, you know, funding changes for long-term care that, that are being, you know, grant are being moved in over the next couple of years. Um, and so we find employment really brisk, but it's almost sometimes like the employer is just looking to find a warm body and not trying to find the right match 
for their institution. So I think with, with a lot of students, they're getting a lot of job offers, uh, but I think they just need to take a little more time and make sure they find the organization that's gonna match what, what they wanna to bring to society, right? In their particular role. So I would say the, the biggest challenge that we hear from, from, from our graduates is just, just finding that right company, the right environment to do the particular role that they were trained to do. Excellent answer, Don. Yeah, that definitely is uh, is definitely going on. We see it on the caring support platform, uh, where multiple candidates are being contacted multiple times throughout the day, uh, in order to you know for healthcare organizations to retain them for employment. Uh, it is definitely an employee's world right now. Um, they have the opportunity to negotiate. Uh, and really talk to potential employers and make sure, you know, culture is good, diversity is good, uh, everything that it's going to take for them to really, uh, you know, fit into that environment and want to be in that environment long term. Turnover is real. It's a real problem because, you know, competition is, is heavy out there. So I just wanted to add that a little bit too as well. Thank you so much, Don. I appreciate that. Uh, the next question is actually for Don, Paul, and Hillary. How does caring, uh, caring support fit into the current context of what we're talking about today? I'm going to start with Hillary. Ladies first. Uh, you're muted, Hillary. Sorry. Sorry. I think it does fit in. I think there's a huge role for caring support uh, in what we're in what's happening in healthcare today. Um, I think that you're actually bang on, Joseph, when you said that this is an employee's world right now. The employee is holding the pen and, uh, and, and has the opportunity to look for the employer of choice. So I think caring support is a way for them to do that. They can um, take a pause and try and find the match that you know, um, will give them the employment experience that they desire and allow them to grow their career um, in the way that they want to. I think there's a huge opportunity for um, healthcare providers on caring support to, uh, to show what their culture is and why they're the employer of choice and why an employee would want to start their career with them and what they could bring to the employee's career. And uh, I, I think caring support is a, a wonderful opportunity for, for employees. Awesome, I appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Woods, from a hospital maybe perspective, major hospital side of the business, how do you feel caring support adds context to what's going on in, in, in the current healthcare uh, scenario here? You know, being a, sort of a, a, an eternal big picture thinker, I, I think it, it bears stating that caring support is not gonna uh, uh, sort of mitigate the fact that there aren't enough nurses in the world, <laughs> there aren't enough PSWs in the world. So I, you know, I, I wanna make sure that, that I uh, sort of uh, uh, caveat my comments to make sure that uh, I'm not suggesting that it will fix all of those things, but I've talked a little bit before about the maldistribution problem and, and that, and if you think about what the traditional recruiting footprint has been of a healthcare provider organization, a hospital or whatever, it's been very geographically bound. If, if, you know, if you're in Sudbury, you tend to recruit in Sudbury because how would you know where else to recruit? So being able to expand the geographic footprint and then to start to learn from success where what, what has been successful to start to create relationships with institutions 
like uh, like Don's Westervelt and, and other post-secondary institutions to establish pipelines that have maybe not been traditionally sort of uh, you know sort of uh, wired. I think is important. If you look at from a hospital perspective, you know, some of the metrics that used to drive me crazy and uh, pull my few remaining strands of hair out were things like the cost to recruit, time to recruit and retention. So if you think about if we can make better choices and candidates can make better choices, if we can connect candidates directly to the hiring manager, et cetera, then I will still have some hair left at the end of it all, which is the most important metric of all. But, uh, but I, I think that operational efficiency can't be understated because hospitals struggle with this kind of thing all the time. I think that you know when we hired people, we didn't just want a warm body, we wanted the right person. And so the opportunity to match the fit you know, what's the culture of the organization? What's the kind of organization is it? And then the person, the, the job seeker can look at that and we can look at them in a different way. And so if you think about things like re retention, I mean, how much better is it going to be patient care if a person's happy in their job? And then the dark horse, and I know I've been bugging you about this, Joe, and thank goodness for Mark that, that uh, Caring Support has it. I think that there's the potential down the road uh, to really leverage the data assets and the intelligence that it gives, because we didn't know who chose, to, even when I was uh, in a large academic hospital, we didn't actually know who chose to go there or where we should be looking for people. And as we start to leverage the proverbial you know, data assets, big data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, et cetera, and start to find out that, you know, whatever, nurses in their ages 30 to 35 who come from towns with less than 25,000 people are more likely to go to Kempville, Ontario, than they are to go to Ottawa, you know, or something like that. I think those things are really critical. So getting back to the very first question, uh, the ability to make better decisions going forward, I think the data assets are a potential big uh, boon to the system itself. I love that, Dr. Woods. And we're definitely working on that with your guidance and your support uh, and some others too as well, but data points and uh, understanding the KPIs and you know, seeing if we can work on the retention side of you know, an employee being in, you know, employed with a healthcare organization. That's what we're all about. We want longevity employment. We want diversity, you know, all of it. And uh, we'll work hard towards to get there. Uh, Don, uh, maybe from the post-secondary institution side, which we just love on our platform and so do our HCOs. So do you wanna address that and talk to that? Sure, sure. You know, when, when I see caring support, it's kind of like the, the right time in the right place. And what I'm trying to say here is, if you look at the silos, right? And you know, the post-secondary is doing what they can do to bring more nurses, more PSWs into, into training and, and you know, providing uh, resiliency training so that you know, when they are hired, they, they can deal with some of the mental stress that the job brings. Um, but then you see you know, the employer side as another silo. And then all these employees looking for meaningful work, right? Something that's going to be more than just a job to them. Something that's going to be, this is rewarding to me. This organization matches the same culture that I have. And I see caring support 
taking a big lasso and looping all three of those silos and bringing us all together. So education can talk to uh, employers and employers can talk to prospective employees and we can all share resources and just, you know, for, for a better healthcare system down the road. So I, I think it's, it's at the right place at the right time to really bring this all together for us in Ontario. Love it. Thank yeah. you so much for that, Don. Hillary. Go ahead. I was just going to add, I think um, for any healthcare organization that may be watching this, you know, from a HR team that is probably spending the majority of their time doing recruitment um, and probably has even people who weren't hired to doing to do recruitment, doing recruitment because of the shortages out there. I think um, caring support is a huge opportunity here for them to free up some of their own resources to look at other things that might make their culture better, might make um, uh, retention stronger uh, because they're not turning all of their attention to getting that next person in the door and trained. So I think there's a huge opportunity as, as both Paul and Don have said, to, to bring all of these areas together, the employer, the employee, and the, the post-secondary organization and, and, and work together to get people fitted to the right, the right role at the right time and for a long time. I like that. Thank you so much, you guys. Really appreciate that, the answers to that. I uh, definitely headed down the right track here uh, at Caring Support. So uh, the next question is for Byron and Dawn, and we're gonna start with Byron. Uh, caring support has made tremendous growth this far, but looking ahead, what do you think will be the most relevant contributions of the platform to the healthcare sector? Byron. Yeah, so I think, I think some of it, you know, has probably been touched on already, right? You know, right now, you know, we see it's an incredibly opportunistic market, right? Employers are looking to, you know, find lots of candidates for different roles. And, you know, folks in the healthcare, you know, healthcare workers, I think are open right, to new opportunities, right, or looking to new opportunities. And so I think what's interesting is that for many, I mean, they might not have had to create, you know, a resume, right, or, you know, a profile the last little bit. And so, you know, one of the things that I think is very appealing about caring support, right, is that it really, you know, it makes it easy. It has a tool set there, right, they're really guide through creating a profile, right, highlighting qualifications and certifications, right, getting necessary checks. Um, you know, and, and, and even creating a resume, right? You know, some of the new tool sets as well. And so, you know, I think it's kind of an all-in-one that certainly standardizes, uh, you know, a number of the different components that, you know, as a job seeker, you want to bring forward, right? And on the flip side, you know, if you're a healthcare organization looking to hire, certainly makes it a lot easier. If you're looking to match by role type with complete profiles, standardized CVs, right? I think you're able to find qualified candidates, right? With the right skill set and the right experience a lot faster. Right. So, so I think there's certainly, uh, you know, a great opportunity there to really, you know, be that meeting place, be that extension, right, for really bringing, you know, both, you know, healthcare organizations and healthcare workers, workers together. Perfect. Thank you, Byron. And Don, do you want to chime in there? Yeah, you know, I can certainly add to that. I, I think, you know, from an employer's perspective, it's speed. Uh, you know, you, you think yeah. of a traditional, you know, I'm looking to hire someone, it, it takes days sometimes just to write the job description, mm -hmm. get the posting out there on the market. And then what do you do? You get that out there, then you sit back and you wait for resumes to come in. Then you peruse through resumes, trying to find 
uh, candidate, right? So I think with Caring Support, the platform is just going to increase that speed where you can go onto the platform and have qualified candidates who meet your criteria within moments of doing your search. So I think certainly from an employer's perspective, that, that speed is gonna be you know, very, very much appreciated. Um, and, and like most of us, when, you know, when, when it comes time to hiring, uh, you know, a lot of times we might have someone who gives us two weeks notice. It, we don't have a lot of mm -hmm. time to, to work that. So I think you know, Byron's right on, speed is gonna be really important. And then I think it frees up resources like Hillary said. So organizations can spend more energy on what's our culture? What, what do we want our employees to look like and be like, right? With, with our clients and what type of culture do we wanna work on as opposed to constantly going out there and trying to find new people because we haven't identified our culture mm -hmm. and we have excessive term. Uh, the other thing I can say, you know, from the employee perspective, I, I, it's just a wonderful tool to be able to go out there and put yourself in the driver's seat and say, I'm marketing my employability on this platform, and I'm going to look at organizations and be able to evaluate these organizations and find out how many boxes they're going to tick off that I'm looking for in employment other than just wages, right? It could be how close are they to where I live or are they mm -hmm. close to, you know, somewhere else I need to be or, you know, what, what are some of the other um, intrinsic benefits of working for that organization? Excellent. Okay. I do have you two uh, up for the next question too as well. Uh, type there. Um, caring support is a good example of innovation and technology with a strong value proposition. Do you think we will continue to see more healthcare related projects and initiatives like this in the near future? So we're talking tech. Where are we at in healthcare uh, in regards hmm. to tech? And uh, what do we maybe need to see in tech You know, in the future? I'm gonna start with Byron first and then we're gonna get to Dr. Woods. Wow. Top billing for this question. Uh, listen, I, th I think Joseph, uh, you know, the pandemic has been, you know, certainly a big driver of innovation in the digital space. I mean, digital isn't new, right? You know, the internet and, you know, certainly digital technologies and websites and all this kind of stuff has been around for a while. But I think it certainly, you know, broke through many of the barriers, right? You know, that we really didn't look at before. I mean, you know, if you think of online grocery. I mean, you know, online grocery for a couple of years has been pushing, you know, pushing water uphill to say, hey, order online, have stuff delivered to your home. Well, you know, the pandemic hits and suddenly that's a great idea. Yeah, I know. And so, so suddenly, you know, we're using these, you know, different digital, you know, uh, solutions and products that are there. So I think, you know, this type of innovation is here to stay. And I think it's going to continue to evolve uh, over, over the next little bit. And, you know, we certainly have seen that in healthcare as well, you know, where, you know, I think it probably was inconceivable before that you would not go into you know, your physician's office, that you'd actually just meet with them like we're meeting right here. And so I think we've certainly shown, you know, there's lots of different you know, services and lots of different mechanisms that you can uh, use right digitally. Uh, I think what's gonna be interesting uh, as, as we move forward is you know, to not just think about platforms, right? And kind of the platform and product side, but the service layer as well. Right. And so I think there is going to be something, you know, potentially incredibly interesting there. Right. As we look at saying, hey, you know, we, we provided a really interesting platform, you know, to bring folks together. You know, is there a service layer or a product layer that goes on top of that? 
right? So it becomes a lot more of an all-in-one type of solution. But uh, but no, I, I think we're certainly just, you know, once again, on a starting point, we're going to continue to see it accelerate over the next little bit. And that's what I've heard, Byron. Great, great last statement there. Technology is definitely going to revolutionize uh, the healthcare system. So uh, a lot of push for that. And I think, Dr. Woods, you can uh, elaborate on that a little bit. So, yeah, and I think uh, Byron had some really... Uh, great points in terms of the uh, pandemic acting as this potent catalyst. And essentially, you know, for, it felt like for 20 years, uh, we've been talking about virtual care. And, and you know, I, health exactly. system I'm well familiar with here in the US was having, you know, two dozen a week. And then overnight, literally, they went to several thousand a week. So it essentially removed a lot of the barriers as to why that happened. It happened in Ontario as well. Uh, so I, I think that the pandemic, you know, removed a lot of excuses that we had. I think what you're seeing, you know, is a proliferation of kind of patient-facing sort of care-related direct apps type thing where patients manage their own care, they interact with caregiver. I think there's a lot of sort of infrastructure happening now, finally, in the technology world. Um, I think what Byron was talking about with the service layer also presupposes the need for this data ecosystem underneath, which yeah. is seamless. And there are all these big barriers that have, have you know, siloed off those data things. But once we can start to break that down, and we must, I mean, we must remove all the excuses for that then we can start to integrate patient-related data, social determinants of health, uh, clinical data, utilization data, and we can start to, to make that service layer breathe and actually work because every excuse that I saw when I was in Ontario for why it didn't work is they said, oh, we can't get access to the data. And we just that needs to be just removed from the world as an excuse. And then you look at something like uh, caring support, like uh, a service or support related applications that just help uh, healthcare organizations to do their job better, uh, remove a lot of the traditional barriers and that. So I think those three categories are going, they're growing right in front of us. And yeah. I think they're going to continue to grow unless sort of vested interests start uh, raising up reasons why we can't do it again. There are no reasons why we can't do it. It's just an excuse. So, Yeah. That's what APIs are for, right? Integrating and streamlining, streamlining everything. So thank uh, God for APIs. It there. <laughs> Great. Uh, APIs are fantastic, right? So um, let's talk. Um, next question is Hillary and Paul, and we're going to start with Hillary on this question. What else can healthcare workers and patients expect from the healthcare sector in the future? It's a big question. Hillary, I'll start with you. I wish you'd started with Paul with this one. Well, no, sorry. Um, okay. Well, I guess, I guess I'll start with what I'd like to see. Um, I like that. And what I think is necessary. So I think there needs to be some significant, significant policy changes with respect to how um, we're funding um, and how we're paying uh, healthcare workers. I think there needs to be changes in, um, in rates of pay across different uh, sectors. I think they need to be aligned. I think that we're going to need to, um, as we mentioned earlier, focus attention and policy on mental health and supports for healthcare workers, not just healthcare workers, but there needs to be supports for healthcare workers. Um, we want uh, employers to bring their A game. We want them to, to 
build cultures and organizations where healthcare workers want to work um, and want to grow their careers and they want to stay. We, they need to they need to step up. They need to offer training. They need to offer um, growth. They need to offer opportunities. And I, I think that's going to require some policy, but I think it's also going to require innovation, as we've talked about, and I, and I think it's going to require some, um, some creative thinking. I think that if we can have some changes made to the sector around how um, pay is, is, is done and how employers are attracting new employees, I, I think that we can get to a place alongside the supports that are happening in the post-secondary stream to attract new people to the sector. Um, we can't just work with the ones that we have in the sector today. There's not enough, and, and Paul mentioned a worldwide shortage. That's pretty alarming. So I think there needs to be some really creative and innovative ways to attract people to want to work in the healthcare sector and want to provide um, care to others. The numbers aren't going to get smaller, and, and I really think that um, some significant change needs to happen. But Paul, you probably have some really great ideas on this one. <laughs> you may have to pull the mic on this one at some point. But... <laughs> so I, no, I, and, and I think Hillary's entree into this conversation was exactly right, going towards policy and payment. And uh, you know, every place in the world that I know of is at least talking about transformational change in how healthcare is organized, how it's regulated, the policy that governs it, and the funds that pay for what. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it was uh, Don Berwick said, every system is perfectly designed to get the system it does. Um, you know, it's no surprise when you look at the challenges that Ontario healthcare has. When you look at the policy and payment, it's a sort of a Frankensteinish uh, sort of monster of 30 years of policy objectives that may have made sense in the time in which they were generated, but they've just turned into this thing that makes is nonsensical at best. So I, I think that there's going to have to be massive change in how or healthcare is is organized and paid for. I think going down some of the little bullet, littler bullet points, I think there's been an argument in, I'm in the US right now, uh, are the people that are served by a healthcare system, are they consumers or are they patients? And I think that that's a fool's errand to try to sort that out because the answer is they're both. They're both at various different times of their lives or even in the same day. I'll give you the example. If I were suffering from cancer, but I had pink eye, I just want someone to write a prescription on uh, like my cell phone uh, for something for my eye. I don't want to go to the doctor's office. On the other hand, I don't want to do some app for my cancer. I'm a patient. I want to have a relationship. I want it to be longitudinal. So I think that understanding that sort of elegant interplay between patients and consumers is really important. And don't go down this, this stupid avenue of saying it's one or the other. I think, you know, as we alluded to in the last thing, I won't say any more about it. You're going to see the continued march of technology insinuating itself into places in healthcare. With that will be questions around ethical issues, around quality, who gets, who manages quality and that sort of thing. So I think all of the questions that happen with that will happen. I think there will be a massive, and this may go towards the policy and payment thing, and sorry, Joseph, I'm probably eating up all our time, um, away from hospitals. You know, I ran a big hospital. My, when I interviewed for that job, they said, what would be a, a, mar a 
mark of success. And I said, in 10 years, if I put a sign on the front door of the hospital and said closed, because we didn't need it, need it anymore. So I think the, the movement to long-term care, even better home and community care, even better patients managing themselves in their home, that we, we have to see that inexorable push, that gravitational pull towards care in the home and away from big expensive hospitals. Um, I think you'll see the move to more powerful primary care models. They work everywhere else in the world. Um, Ontario needs to move in that direction for sure, but a lot of stuff that can be done in terms of care coordination, in terms of collaborative care models where primary care doctors work with uh, specialists, with care managers, with social workers in order to be able to actually keep patients out of hospital and, and out of more expensive care is really important. And I think the, the last thing, and it's something that's been said many times uh, over the past 10 years is we've got to take a look at social determinants of health and keep people from getting sick in the first place. We, we need to understand that and we need to get after that. Uh, first of all, because it's right and the right thing to do is never the wrong thing to do. And second of all, we're just killing ourselves as a system by not taking care of things that never should have happened before they happen. So I think there's going to, there, some, someday somebody's going to wake up and say, hey, we need to take on social determinants of health. Amazing, Paul, uh, Dr. Woods and Hillary. Great, great answers to those questions, that question particularly, uh, but great uh, answers to all these questions, you guys. Fantastic job. So right now, I think we're going to go to the attendees and maybe get a couple of questions from them. Um, question from Sarah Woods. Um, I apologize if this is redundant. I think we all experienced the lack of willingness to work in general post-COVID, uh, post but also in healthcare. What I've seen in long-term care, as well as acute and uh, Obligatory care is an influx of people who are really just financially motivated and uh, explosive, uh, but also poorly equipped and motivated to actually do the job despite an impressive interview. I'm wondering what kind of strategy you have to address this type of issue. Sorry, I couldn't pronounce those few words, but yeah, let's go ahead and I'm going <laughs> to um, ask uh, Dr. Woods this question first. Tough question. I have a feeling that person's a nurse practitioner somewhere. But uh, so I think where the opportunity lays with that is in the better matching. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that happens with current hiring, and Hillary's probably more of an expert than, than I on this, is the organization's on its best behavior. They, they put on their shiny uh, bow tie and, and they show off. The candidate is on their best behavior and they come in for an hour, they may get a second interview for another hour. There's a, a reference check and let's be honest uh, <laughs> in terms of what they're worth. I think the ability uh, for the system to learn from what worked and what didn't work. So as the system starts to generate, you know, this was the candidate that was hired. This is what their portfolio looked like. This is what the resume looked like. This is how they interviewed. And that one only lasted 90 days and they were terminated because of whatever, or they weren't a good cultural fit. As we start to understand those things is, you know, what were the input variables and then what was the outcome? I think we'll do a better job of being able to overcome that sort of shiny 
Sunday suit thing where somebody's on their best behavior. Um, but it's it, it's going to take a long time. You know, I think with artificial, I hope Mark is listening to this, but with AI and business learning or uh, uh, machine uh, learning and uh, big data and all those sorts of things, the systems have to learn. So I think over time, it will become apparent who was a good fit and who was just putting on a a song and dance for the organization and which organizations are putting on songs and dances too, based on uh, candidate uh, feedback and that sort of thing. It's the only, the only way I know of, I, I don't know, Hillary, do you have any thoughts on that? Sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah, no, I would agree with what you said. I also think that there's a, an opportunity here, um, you know, to do all of the things you said, but people want, they want to feel valued where they work. They want to know that they're contributing and they want to feel valued. And so sometimes when there's not a fit, it's because the organization um, didn't provide what the employee perceived as valuable work or um, acknowledgement of the work they were doing. And so I think there's opportunities to learn um, how to get the right employees, but I also think there's opportunities for us to look at the work that we're asking our employees to do and how do we make it more meaningful and how do we make it a job that someone would want to come and, and do in day in and day out. Excellent. Anybody else want to chime in on that? Or do we want to go to the next question? Uh, do you guys see the other question in the chat? Anybody? I can see it. Do you want me to read it, Joe? Yeah, go ahead. I can't sure. see it right now. It says, um, agreed that pay needs to be equitable across okay. the board between hospital to community care. Is there a point where the institutions are going to monitor the individuals passing their programs? Not all are a good fit. Not all attend all classes. Hence the outstanding absenteeism concerns. Excellent. I think we know who this is going to. Uh, Don, do you want to chime in on that? Um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a fairly loaded question, but, uh, you know, I, I think education, um, you know, really tries to, th there's competencies that need to be mapped and there's uh, certain outcomes that every program has to have. Um, a lot of programs are accredited so that the, you know, the institution would work with the accreditor to determine, you know, what those outcomes are. But I think a lot of education maybe missed the mark a little bit on a daily basis. I know when, when I was in the classroom, I used to always tell my students, I said, you know, there's some things I'm going to teach you that you need to know for the exam and for the test. But there's other things I'm going to talk to you about and teach you that you're going to need for your job when you get out there, right? And those are a lot of the soft skills. And, and I find today a lot of organizations forget about those particular soft skills, right? They're so focused on mapping the competencies and mapping what the person has to demonstrate upon graduation that sometimes they forget while they're doing that education that the, the faculty are people who've done these roles before. And I think it's really important that they share those particular experiences. And we're honest with people as to what these roles really are. And I think sometimes, you know, roles get a little bit glorified and uh, get a little bit over, over delivered. And I think what happens a lot of times when people get out into that world, you know, they're, they're mystified. Oh, that's what I'm going to have to do. I, I, we never learned that in school or we never did that. So I think it's, it's really important that education, you know, kind of step up as well 
and you know go beyond just the competencies of what I'm going to have to do as an RN or as a PSW or as a you know medical office assistant or a pharmacy technician and and get be beyond that and what what does the job really involve from from a personal level why are you going into this particular program and uh, you know you, you find some really strange things when you interview students and uh, you know i can tell you in the past interviewed a student who wanted to go into dental hygiene but thought it would be disgusting to look in someone's mouth. And you start to think like, well, why are you interested in dental hygiene? And, and again, I think this, this particular person, you know, is, is onto something. Well, I've heard it pays well. Well, that's one reason why you might go into a career, but there's gotta be so many other reasons why you wanna go into a career and you have to know what that career is about. So I, I think it, it really starts at the interview process when a person's looking to get into education, I think we need to take more time to sit down with them and understand why they really want this profession. Are they making the right decisions for this particular profession, but also through the training as well to provide those types of supports as to this is what the job or the career is really about so that they're not surprised when they get out there after a four-year degree and say, oh man, that's not what I expected and I don't wanna do this any longer. It, it doesn't benefit anyone. I hope, I hope I answered that person's question. Mm -hmm. I've actually sat down with all my kids. They're all uh, 18 and older and went over that exact thing. Like, what do you want to do? Let's go to Google. Let's research it. Let's understand what it's like. Let's look at reviews. Let's go talk to somebody that's in that field right mm -hmm. now to understand that that is exactly what you want to do when you're going to spend dad's money right? And mom's money. So uh, we know how to make sure it's the proper education that they're going to stick through to as well. So I think that was a great question, by the way, and a great answer. Um, perfect. Question um, for Hillary. Healthcare HR is, is typically in catch-up mode in terms of recruitment across the board. There are clearly burnout issues at the present, but looking ahead, how can HR departments take a better control of retention in, in, in a time that new way of working are taking shape in other professions? How could, how could considerations such as shift scheduling, not just nursing, flexible work schedule apply to the healthcare world? That's a great question. I think that um, like like many other things related to healthcare, COVID has pushed us along. And I think we've now realized that not every um, every role in healthcare has to be done uh, in the bricks and mortar of that organization's location. It can be done remotely. Um, and so there could be hybrid working alternatives. There could be flexible schedules. Um, as mentioned, I think that um, there's opportunities for job sharing. Um, I, I think employers need to be open to any and all creative solutions that work to attract employees. And so I agree. I think we've been behind the eight ball. It's been pretty rigid around bricks and mortar and, and certain shift schedules and, and eight to four if you're in the office. And, and we need to look beyond that to see what might attract people not just uh, existing people um, within the sector, but new people to the sector because of what we can offer. Excellent, yeah, thank it. you. Awesome. 
And the next one, uh, I'm not sure if we have any more after this. I think we're, we're, we're getting to the end of this round table, but uh, from Joanne, um, do Westervelt students go out for job shadowing, Don? That's the question for you. Oh, okay, good question. Uh, yes, they do. All our healthcare students have a practicum component, uh, which varies anywhere from two weeks up to uh, several months in which they uh, work with a preceptor uh, at, at uh, someone, you know, at an organization in the field that they're studying. Uh, and, uh, you know, we really like it because that, you know, the students get a real hands-on approach, but we also like it because the employers really get to see, you know, what our graduates are capable of doing. And uh, right now, a good portion of our students are being hired right from that practicum. So we, we know it's a good thing to be doing. And you're helping them find those practicum opportunities. Correct. Absolutely. We don't. Uh, we we work with the student. We don't put them out there. If they have a preference, they can come to us and say, "Hey, I have a preference geog geographically, or I have a preference." You know, we'll work with them. But no, we'll find them that uh, practicum site. That's awesome. And I think care and support can obviously help mm -hmm. in that in, in that situation. Obviously, the geographical part. So if one of your students uh, is back, won't want to go back up to Sudbury, easily you can go and look at the fields that are recruiting that are in the database and you can communicate with them right away and share that file, um, that profile directly with them and they can go through the interview process. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And we use your platform to assist us with our PSW uh, placement. I know that. I love that. I appreciate that. And uh, here I hear it's working. All right, this has been amazing, you guys. I can't wait for the next one to tell you the truth. Hopefully I get to be the moderator again. This has been a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, you guys are absolutely wonderful. Uh, really good at what you do. You know your stuff. And uh, we really do appreciate your time here tonight. So on behalf of uh, our online audience and uh, everybody, we wanna thank you. So um, as well, I wanna shout out to Brian Spencer. Uh, and his team from Streaming Incorporated that, you know, helped us create this uh, round table here tonight. Thank you so much, Brian, for your help, uh, helping us through this first round table. I really do appreciate that. Once again, you guys have a wonderful night. Thank you so much. God bless and stay safe out there. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Good evening, everyone. Bye.